Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. The following is excerpted from a session of Dharma Dialogues held in Melbourne in November of 2019. It's called At Home in Yourself. You may also want to check out our sessions for Melbourne and Hobart in November of 2019, our five-day retreat in New Zealand in April 2020, and our 10-day retreat in Italy starting in late October 2020. often aware when I'm in a group of people, whether it's in a restaurant or on a bus or in a room such as this, I'm often aware of the frequency that we're sharing, right? Anytime you get a group of people together, there's some kind of shared frequency, some sort of behavior that's considered normal in certain circumstances. And one of the things I really particularly love, of course, is when we come together in this kind of context, in this kind of frequency. Because you can feel almost immediately when you walk into a room such as this, when there's a gathering whose intention is that of simply being. It's a broadcast of peace. It's a peace mob instead of an angry mob, <laughs> or a rattled mob, or a flash mob. It's a peace mob. And sometimes I have a sense that, I've spoken about it often over the years, how it's almost like there's been a homesickness that we feel and you just kind of want to come and just sit at home in yourself. Right? And keep it really, really simple. So my offering and intention in having these kinds of gatherings over the years is really just that, that it gives you a, a place to just be reminded of what it feels like to just be at home in yourself. And sometimes we hear these words and you might have thought, gosh, I've been far away from that. Or even the thought, I never feel that. Some people will say that. Some people feel a kind of constant state of a stranger in a strange land, even in, their, even in their own skin. But I propose that there just needs to be an adjustment of your attention, that's all. You just adjust your attention. Because in a way, to be not feeling at home in yourself requires a different type of attention. You're using your attention somehow. And it's giving the illusion that you're not at home in yourself. So in this adjustment of attention into simply being, because that is actually the true reality that you're experiencing, you're just being. 
There's a lot of conceptualizing that goes on and the difference between living a conceptualized life and a felt life, right? Big difference. A lot of conceptualizing goes on in the human creature way too much, way more than is needed for functioning. But nevertheless, it's a habit. And it doesn't mean that you have to stop these kinds of thoughts necessarily, but they don't have to be as loud. They don't have to be as predominant. They don't have to be the high priority, your fabulous thoughts. And so another aspect of the offering of this is that you come and you attune. You, you tune into the frequency. I'd say it's pretty easy. And it's a reminder of how easy it is to tune into that frequency wherever you are, as you go about in your day or your night. You tune into the frequency much more frequently, and pretty soon it's kind of the background habit. And it doesn't have to be constant. Often is good enough. Sometimes the conceptualized obsession takes over. Sometimes stress and anxiety take over. We're human creatures and we're subject to all kinds of vicissitudes in these ways, depending on our conditioning. I have, I often struggle with anxiety due to conditioning and anxiety easily arises. And then it requires an adjustment of my attention. And sometimes the anxiety is kind of running, but can get lighter and lighter with my use of my own attention. And I don't have to have a battle with the fact that it arose or that it's lingering about because it's being provoked in some way. Let's say you're on a stressful, it's, it's a storm, you're on a highway, it's dark, there's a lot of big trucks flying by you. For me, that would be a condition in which it would provoke anxiety. And until I was off of that road, that anxiety might be running a bit, might be kind of arising. It's being provoked. Nevertheless, there would be this intentionality on my part to keep adjusting my attention. And then as soon as the incident is over, then there can be a, a deep relaxation again in just simply being. So in these ways, we can see a kind of ordinariness, a kind of humanness, you know? Doesn't, you don't have to be enlightened. You can be real, you can be human. But more and more, a kind of commitment, an intention that you live with, a light intention, that says the following. These are my precious days. They're numbered. We don't know the number. It's a finite number. 
So we have this blink of life. And the gift of it is, I mean, to me, it just gets more and more simple, really simple, the gift of it. When I really have a glimpse of the truth, I just feel gratitude. Another day, another way to experience love. Looking at a magnolia outside here in this window. We who are privileged, we probably get to eat whenever we want and pretty much whatever we want. Great, huge privilege. Mm -hmm. Don't take it for granted. All the little things in being, in this sweetness of being that we overlook, we forget sometimes. We think there's a better life somewhere else. (laughs) Or we're trying to change ourselves in such a way that we'll adjust more to the world. But you're already at home here. I noticed that vibration as soon as I sat down. It was, it was really, I was saying, gee, I wish I could take this home <laughs> type feeling. You know, it would make me slow down a lot more mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. in that sort of space. Mm-hmm. Yes, and my point is you're already at home in it. That which noticed, right, that of you which noticed is what already knows it. Understand? Mm, yes. Yeah. So it's just a matter, again, it's like an entrainment. You walk in, you feel it. It creates a little haunting, I think, when you're not feeling it, when you're out and about and you're far, far from it. Back in the swirl of the world, racing into its oblivion. (laughs) Right? What's going on out there? Right? What's going on? A lot of desperation. A lot of desperation, creating more desperation. And this is stepping out of that, stepping out of that, that maelstrom of more, 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 and me, 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 (laughs) right? Versions of me who wants more. And once I get more, then there'll be a bigger me. And, you know, it's a fool's errand for sure. It doesn't lead to happiness. It leads to destruction. It leads to more use of resources, more burning of ancient fossils into the atmospheres. And sometimes I I reflect on the fact that, you know, for those of us who do seek the quieter places in our being, sometimes it appears to others who are in the swirl that we're kind of hiding out or dropping out or, you know, 
doesn't matter how it appears, but I'm saying that it sometimes does appear that way. And sometimes people are hesitant to uh, give that gift to themselves because they feel they're not quite keeping up with the pace of the world. But I propose this is the most radical political thing you can do for the good. Keeping your own self your own well-being topped up so that you feel magnanimous, you easily feel empathy, you want to live lightly, you don't need a whole lot to be happy. All right, contentment comes more easily, you know. It's always, it's, it's actually downstream, our happiness and our contentment. It's always, it's always about being grateful for little things, because they're all about, right? We can be so grateful for so many little things. And it basically bumps up our own happiness set point. And then you just, you do feel more and more at home in yourself. It reminds me of something you have said, and it's something like, it's the, uh, the piece that's deeper than what's going on. Yes, that's right. A deeper piece. Yeah. And even through the anxiety and, and whatever we might be feeling, sorrow sometimes, right? Sorrow, deep sorrow and a loss particularly. Underneath it and through it. As though it's like, uh, like light coming through curtains. You're experiencing the peace, the surrender, basically. Another component of living in the quiet of your own being is, is you live in a lot more understanding. It just comes. You don't even have to look for it. It just comes. And so part of that understanding is knowing the fragility of this life, the preciousness, the transience, the transience of all that you love, so that, you know, I was talking on the phone with my sister-in-law yesterday. And um, she's a grandmother of nine children. And in the last few years, she's been, for the first time, having a job. She's mostly been raising children and grandchildren, and my, my brother always provided for her. But she's gotten a job in the last few years of taking care of little kids, little babies, actually. And so she's the perfect person to hand your baby off if you're going to be going off to work. You, she's the uber grandmother. She's a very fit 66-year-old. And um, so she was telling me about how her job is, is that she, she raises these little, these little infants, and then next thing she, know, she knows, they're going to kindergarten or school, and her, their parents don't need her anymore. So she's in a state of loss a lot with these little creatures that she's crazy about. So she, we, she was lamenting this to me. And I just kept saying, but focus. See, you see it as though you are part of this child's development to a certain point, And then that, that has to change. It has to go. The child keeps developing. They have to go to school. <laughs> And so you've done this incredible, you know, you've, done, you've been this blessing in this life. 
but turn to what's still there for you, all that's still there that is your life, you know, that is your ongoing. And that contour down. Sometimes we forget to reflect on those simple things, right? We reflect on what's going instead of what's still here. Even though we, of course, are allowed the grief of feeling that which we loved is passing. But yes, always this deeper peace that is available. I've lost a lot of friends in the last few years. I'm of an age, you, you too. Uh, of, you know, every time I turn around, it seems, you know. And, and it's not as if the grief is less in each case. In some ways, it's more and more. It feels like a piling on. However, the feeling of peace and of expansion and of surrender and of, okay, um, is intensifying as well as part of the deeper peace. Just wanted to ask you about um, when you talk about surrendering and the open heartedness and you know just sinking into that that gorgeous just being, and then the balance between the doing yeah. and the being, and then yeah. the impulses to do. And you're like, well, I'm just gonna let it go. And just that kind of balance between the two. Yeah, it, I know it depends on the situation, how much you do and how much you don't. But so often things, if you just let it go, it'll pretty much take care of itself in a better way. Yeah. Well, I often say that the doing flows from being, so that when you're really at home in yourself, let's say it that way, when there's a simplicity inside, when there's not a kind of driving <clears throat> desperation for some kind of proving, having to be somebody out there in the world, that can cut out a lot of the doing, <laughs> right? It kind of takes a lot of the, the to-do list off. And then whatever flows out is a much more authentic, coming kind of from your own innocence, in a sense, you know? Like when you were a kid, right? When you were a kid and you, now you have a, you have a ton of energy when you're a kid, so you do run about a lot more in a natural way, in an organic way, because you feel like it. But even, like, if you just watch children playing, there's this, there's this rhythm, there's this way that they're just moving freely, right? And that can become much more how you are living with yourself. In other words, there are certain things you have to take care of as an adult, there's certain functions you just have to do in the day. And so those you do, you just do them. Then there's a lot of extraneous stuff that can, that can be part of the, the, the engine that's running inside of you. It has to do with much more, I'm going to say this provisionally, ego material, right? That means thoughts that are all about this, this sustaining of somebody, this presentation of somebody, 
this way that this somebody needs to be recognized by the world. And if that doesn't happen, then there's this collapse inside. Um, this, this is extraneous material, as far as I'm concerned. I know it well, lived in that state plenty enough in my life. And I really know the difference when that driver is just quiet or mostly quiet. Right? Sometimes it rears its head, but mostly quiet. And then what happens is a shift into when you're sitting in this kind of restful space inside yourself, the shift goes into just let me be used. <laughs> right? And so instead of proving something, you're just happy to be used in some nice way, like good compost. And, and whether or not you get well used isn't up to you either. You might not, right? You might not be well used. And even that is okay. It just wasn't to be. But you're willing. You're willing because you like, there's a, there's a natural, when they're sitting in that thing, as I said before, there's an empathy. When you're sitting in that kind of quiet, there's empathy. And you look around and you see there's so much suffering. And so you, you sense that it's very, very satisfying in a different place, not an ego place, but in a connection place to be well used, to have your life have that kind of have that kind of expression in it. That turns out to be a privilege. Not everyone gets it, no matter how well-intended you might be. Not everyone gets to have that as a way of life, but all of us can have it in little ways, in little kindnesses, right? So that becomes another way that your life can be that that expression can be part of the doing that flows out very easily is through your day. You're just this, you know, um, it's like being a flower girl. You're just sort of like <laughs> giving out, you know, little kindness flowers of your own self. And it's all excuses to connect. And, and that becomes how your how the doing starts to flow from you. And it's very different from the push that so many people are living with. You know, the push of the push of greed, right? And underneath the greed is the fear, you know. And then it becomes a habit, right? This, this, this doing that flows from being becomes more of a habit. And you really feel the difference. You'll feel the difference when the when the push is there, when the nervousness, when the ego material arises and starts demanding action, you'll feel the difference. There's a flutter, there's a nervousness that comes with it. And it takes kind of a, it takes some, 
adjustment to resist it. But it's interesting to do when you just resist it and just say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Right? That and the cold actually feel like, oh, I actually need to act on this. Usually the call to action, that particular kind of call to action where it is coming from a kind of wanting to be well used, wanting to be part of the greater good, it doesn't usually have a lot of rumination with it. It's like when you fall in love, it's like help, you're helpless in it. So it doesn't have a lot of it doesn't have a lot of conceptualizing and should I and shouldn't I, blah, 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 and what if, and it's like, oh, good, you know. So it's a pull instead of a push. Um, there's a couple of things that I ongoingly am challenged by, um, which is, I think, a pretty common sort of phenomena. One is the the discipline of my daily practice, which I always have an intention to start my day with meditation and mindfulness, which I mostly do, but am challenged. And I kind of fall off that wagon a little bit. And I, it's interesting because I have this sense of really feeling like I want to and feel committed, but somehow I still am challenged by that. And, it's, and I, I want to say it's like at a very deep heart level, I really want to, but somehow I allow you know, other mm -hmm. things to get in the way of that. So that's kind of my first challenge. And the other one is um, around how to continue to, and it's an ongoing journey, let go of the anxiety that you spoke about earlier on as well. How to, because life just is going to bring up challenges. Yeah. And how to continue to make that easier, Yeah. you know, from the, suffering to the pain, I guess, and even beyond the pain, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I'll go to the first question first. Um, in terms of the mindfulness practice, so-called, I recommend a much more gentle, open awareness throughout your day. So to not make some big thing about the sitting practice that you have to do and, that, and then feeling badly that you didn't do it or feeling that I can't seem to get to it because I don't feel like it. You know, for some people, they really enjoy a sitting practice and they really enjoy taking that period sitting and just being in those moments and perhaps it informs their day. For other people... They can experience that ongoingly or mostly ongoingly through their day. And if that's more your way, then go with that. Absolutely. It's go with that. Easy, yeah. I, I find it easier just to be more in the mindfulness in the moments throughout the day rather than sit for any long period of time. It, yeah. it, um, you know, there is some, apparently some evidence about the frequency is more important than sitting for an hour. And, and that it. just resonates more so for me. And for me. So um, that, that's exactly how I see to play it. It doesn't make wrong anyone who wants to sit, sit. And for some people, they might want to lay down and some people might want to walk in the woods. Whatever is, you know, your way of kind of, uh, kind of reminding yourself, especially if you're particularly stressed, um, then well and good. It's all fair game to really be authentic 
and then to live much more a kind of living meditation, right? It's your life. It's how you, it's just an adjustment of your attention in an ongoing way. So all fine. Um, <clears throat> what was the second one? Oh, just around anxiety, anxiety the ongoing, yes. you know, phenomena of yes. anxiety. Yes, it yes, comes yes. up inevitably. And it does. Some, it, depending, depending on your conditioning, some people have a high-trigger anxiety conditioning. And unfortunately, uh, we find out through all the various psychotherapeutic and neuroscience um, channels, people who've had a lot of difficulty in childhood have high triggers of anxiety. It's not as if you get immune. It's that you're actually more sensitive later on and all the way through to anxiety. <laughs> so um, then one has to make friends with the fact that that arises. One has to basically find a way uh, to adjust your attention even though you're having anxiety. So, you know, of course, a reminder that it will pass or doing anything in the moment that you think can calm you down some in the midst of it or any kind of reflection, sometimes reflections on things you're grateful for or moving your attention very strongly into your physical senses, right? All of these are tricks you can use or find your own. Um, but one thing you don't have to do is struggle with the fact that it arose or expect that it's not going to arise. That's the problem. And that is, a, that is somehow a bill of goods that gets sold a lot of times in spiritual circles that you're going to somehow, if only you could see clearly enough or have some experience that then protects you evermore from these very natural arisings, not likely... Right. One of the things I, I say often, one of the things Punjaji once said, my teacher in India, who died a long time ago, um, he said, sometimes I'm not in satsang. <laughs> and what he meant by that is sometimes I'm losing it myself. <laughs> right. And I loved that. I loved hearing that. Right gave everybody permission to just understand you're a human creature. You're going to have conditioned arisings. If a brown snake suddenly appeared in this room, we would see everybody's conditioning, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, I liked I actually really enjoyed hearing that the Dalai Lama even thinks whilst he's meditating sometimes. He has uh, thoughts. Remember how excited I was to hear of that. Of course he has thoughts. <laughs> yes, has yes. Yeah. So in other words, you know, to really make friends with your humanness and your particular conditioning. You didn't choose it. You didn't do it. You're not deliberately making yourself hang, have anxiety. It's arising on its own due to some sort of provocation. And... There it is. And whether it's, it could even be a thought. A thought can cause the, and then sometimes people will blame themselves for having the thought when in fact you didn't intend to have the thought. Why would you? So certain types of things just are arising on their own, right? Yeah. Thoughts without a thinker, right? So you're, you're 
your adjustment of attention is almost, it's like you're only going to need it as an after effect of the, of the arising. So the arising occurs, and then you can adjust the attention. Yeah, I think it's the acceptance of that it doesn't get better necessarily. Right. It's just how we deal with it, that what, it's inevitable. What, what does get better, though, is the acceptance, right? Yes. And that makes all the difference. That's what's making some difference, I've it noticed. Does. Mm. That's where the freedom is. Yeah, that's the most stress-releasing aspect is to accept it, to really yes. surrender to that. Yes. Say yes to yourself entirely, mm. full package. Mm. Yes to the delivery. You sign. Yes, yes. accepted the delivery. <laughs> Yes. Right. It's not even that you signed. You were born. Here you are, right? I guess that's the signature, isn't it? Really? Yeah. In some way. The agreement. And we labor, right. especially those of us who have been attracted to spiritual circles and systems, we labor under the illusion that we're going to have to have an enhanced spiritual version of ourselves. Mm. But the irony, you know, the incredible irony is that it's in the non-manipulation, in the total acceptance, mm -hmm. in the deep saying yes, in the understanding of how this thing was conditioned, that's where the freedom is. That's the, actually the spiritual realization. The transformation is simply that there's no more struggle, that there's just, you're in a full acceptance of you as a creature and with the kind with the kind of conditioned thoughts that you might have now in that acceptance everything gets quieter they don't stop they're just quieter there's no big you know drama about them so i often say i don't i just don't care what thoughts i have i i couldn't care less. I have, I mean, if my thoughts were laid out on a ticker tape, you would all be shocked. <laughs> they have not gotten better in all these many years of messing around with my attention. But what has gotten better is I feel a lot more peace and a lot less struggle about all of it. And I quit seeking a long, long time ago. I'm totally seeking fell away, not in any great finding, but in the futility of seeking. I saw the futility of seeking, and that just fell away. And ever since then, I've been really making friends with myself, <laughs> right? So I don't care what, what goes through my mind. So when you say you let go of seeking, Catherine, as in as if you're looking externally, yeah. Is that what you're saying? Or any kind Just of that. improvement of myself. I said letting go of the improvement. Yes. I let go of the, improve, of the improvement project. <laughs> a, long some, a long it, time ago. It somehow feels so necessary, important though somehow. You know, there's until, such an attachment to that. Until you see the futility of it. It does seem that way. And it seems a noble cause. Yes, that's the problem. Of course. And, and it gets celebrated, and there are many thousands of books written about it. But when you finally see 
the futility of seeking and the relaxation of just saying, oh, the hell with it, <laughs> you know? And then you breathe a sigh of relief and you give yourself a pass and you realize, like one of my friends says, I am not my fault, right? You didn't grow you, you didn't make you, you didn't do any of that, you, right? And then when you realize that, you give everybody a pass. You look around and you have a lot more compassion and empathy. And you just see, you know, each of us is just like any other creature, right? There are all these turkeys that live in my little forest next to my house. They each have their own personality. These bush turkeys, they all have their own little habits. Right? You're just another creature. We get all gussified in our minds that we're these human special creatures. Right? What's been mostly special, and I'm sorry to say this, what's been mostly special about us is our capacity for destruction. It's true. We're really, really making quite a mess of the natural world. And unfortunately, we're on the list of what we're destroying. You know, so to have the hubris of thinking we're so special and so holy or somehow spiritual or whatever is a misplacement of values. So again, downstream, go the other direction into simplicity of being, into contentment, into gratitude, into just seeing yourself as another creature and not laboring under what uh, an environmentalist who I like a lot, his name is Derek Jensen, calls the myth of human supremacy, right? As though we're so great. When all of that is released, and this whole big project, this big me project, and even the spiritual me project is gone. Then there's, a, there's an honest humility of being a creature that, who suffers, who has loss, who will die, who's here for such a tiny time to experience all of this almost uncontainable love that we are susceptible to. And then you really get to have that when you, when you understand this, the reality that we're sitting in. Right? And, you get, and you're released from this other big impossible project that is fruitless. <laughs> impossible. It's po- impossible and fruitless. Yeah. Even if it maybe could be possible or something, you know. Thank you. You're welcome. A friend of mine linked the Phagian Extinction um, article to me about a month ago, uh-huh. um, just after I'd been arrested for the Extinction Rebellion. Yeah. Um, hadn't heard from him for a while and I said, what's this? Um, and I just, I've gone through that and deep adaptation and, yeah. and all of 
Michael Dowd's uh, List. audio. Yes. Yeah, so yes. had a thorough, thorough. Um, Did you find all of that through my yeah, essay? Yeah, linking away. Yeah, so, so you've been it quite immersed. Yes. Yeah. Um, what your journey has been, your personal journey, since writing that article, because we evolve when we think about these things. Yes. Well, I had been prior to writing it. The writing of it was almost a catharsis. Um, I'd been thinking on these matters a long time, which you may have gathered from that essay. Um, I am in deep acceptance. I am in deep acceptance um, of a time that our particular moment in history, uh, I'm, I have had to make some kind of peace with how much is dying? So it was always the case that death was on the on offer for all of us, right? But this is a new this is a new thing that humans have not had to face before. And that has been really hard to to grapple with and to process and to metabolize. But that process is definitely underway for me. And it is informing my every day and my every impulse and my every everything, right? And it is creating a kind of tenderness in my heart. You know, as we sit here, lots of my friends in California are not even in their own homes. They're not, some of them are not sure if their homes have been burned down yet. Um, and many, many of my other friends in California whose houses weren't necessarily threatened, they just spent four days without electricity. Now, that isn't really a hardship, you know, that you're not going to die from not having electricity. But it's a preview of things to come, you know. Um, so we live in these very, we live in such uncertain times. We do not know. We can't assume anything, Right. We can't assume the most basic things that previous generations could assume. Um, I've never felt more alive. Um, as I say, I feel this profound empathy. Um, I feel this great tenderness. And it's painful. It's hard to watch. And I feel also a foreboding about what's coming. And I just, all of this is just living in my being. It's all part of my, you know, all part of my life now. It's like it's requiring, you know, what I said earlier about the losses that they're kind of piling on and that there's an intensification of the space around them. So that's also happening with regard to the foreboding, is there's bigger and bigger space around it. Um, there's bigger and bigger sense of watching it from an evolutionary point of view. I don't feel blame of anybody, and it's something that I would recommend for the Extinction Rebellion people who I very much admire, um, and I've been in touch with quite a few of them, I think that it, we don't need to heavily blame 
any particular group. Um, we all did this. This has been going on a long time. Right? Everybody, all the previous ancestors and all the previous technologies and all of it, each step of the way, it was to try to make life more comfortable, better, right? Um, that was what the, the impulse and the motivation was along the way. But now, as I'm saying here today, contentment is our most radical act. Gratitude. And some deep acceptance that says, okay, whatever is to be, will be. And that doesn't mean that you don't do everything you can to be helpful in whatever smart ways you can. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm going to try and have a crack at this. Okay. Um, I remember... Uh, the 70s, like Melbourne, was a very different place then. Yeah. Um, very, very different place. And now Melbourne is, I'm not too sure, are we 4 million? I'm not too sure the population and it grows and it sprawls. Our city, everyone's city. And it's in relation to what we've just been talking about. Um, and then sort of there still was that sort of sense of freedom living here, you know, even 20 years ago, but now it's stopped. It's sort of, it's like a tightness in the air and it pervades everything, I feel. And um, you spoke about the desperation of, like what's out there and the greed and and then there's like when we think of like all that like uh, great work, like you think about all the great work that happens in hospitals and yeah. uh, great work out in sort of community and working with communities that are experiencing disadvantaged and experiencing disadvantage and the people working directly in those roles, in those more caring or altruistic roles, they're underneath the pump because the resources are lower to support those roles, say, in mm -hmm. mental health, the health system and all of that. So there's this tightening in the air and I think like a much, I think a really high percentage of people feel that. Yes. And they they deal with that in a different way. It depends that people might be really tuned into it and maybe tuned into a group that you were just speaking of or doing whatever or then other people may tune into it and then go into denial and and what have you. And, and I certainly feel it and... I've gone around the whole circle kind of like just listening and reflecting today and over the last sort of year, like I, like it's so clear to me, it's the spaciousness that I felt as a kid or like 20 years ago in the city, it's never coming back. It's, it's never, ever coming back. So 
I've had to find other ways of experiencing that. And I think that what's really helped me to experience that is like because I've come and heard you speak and, you know, I've read stuff that you've written and, um, and so that's opened up in me and, um, and I think like what you speak about, like getting in touch with those like more simple things in life and you've alluded to that today and I don't, I don't even know what my question is but it's like for quite some time now I kind of like are so aware of this tightness that's there mm-hmm. and that it's not going to change mm-hmm. and I don't know, is there anything else that you can add to sort of <laughs> dealing with that? I think you've already answered it. Um, well, let me just jump in. Yeah. Yes, be at home in yourself. You are your own sanctuary. How you're using your attention is going to condition what you're experiencing, right? How you're experiencing any moment, whatever you're doing with your intention, attention, right? Yeah. So life has, has been hard for many people in history. Mm-hmm. Life is very hard for many people now, right? One, one of the things I've been reflecting on a lot in our case, because we've grown up in privilege, mm. like supreme privilege, yep. we've had certain expectations that we're now confronted with um, as being no longer the case, such as your delightful, peaceful city for which you feel nostalgic that is no longer yeah. the same and is only getting more and more stressful and crowded and harder and the system's crashing and so on. Mm. Um, So because of the contrast, because of the expectation of privilege that we're habituated in, it's harder for us to adjust. Mm -hmm. We Mm. have to allow that, you know, and, and it, it's in a way, it's like leveling the playing field with the rest of the world who's been having to adjust to that all along, right? Mm. And many, many, many people now, millions of people on the move because where they have been living for generations can no longer grow mm. food. So we're in just new territory in the world, but that doesn't mean that your own sanctuary cannot be a place, an abode of peace. But you do have to make some mental adjustments. Yeah. And realize it's, you're right, it's probably not going to get more peaceful in the world or in your city or in Mm. the circumstances Mm. or in the services. Mm. That's not where we'll be looking for it. Mm. We'll be looking for it in our own case, in our own dear beingness, in our community, in our ways of helping out, right, in our shared frequencies, Mm -hmm. and be very, very susceptible to little tiny moments of joy. Mm. Let yourself stop and hear the bird, right? Mm. Let yourself really taste your coffee. Privilege, 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 you know. It Mm. is is that. I'm very aware of all of that now. I walk into a store and look at the food, coming from all the world, right? On the shelves, we give some paper, we get the food. I'm so aware of that process. 
and mm. so hyper aware mm. in a great in a gratitude way yeah. and without expectation that that's going to continue yeah right. cuz i am getting when i'm going to the supermarket like sometimes i the thought comes oh this could just all dry up yeah the um, trucks could stop coming yeah so we have to again as many people are living already now yeah more than ever in history mhm mainly because there are more people in the world mm. but there's the biggest migrations of all of history now yeah. and so many 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 people are living in extreme daily uncertainty mm. and yet i hear tales of extraordinary acts of heroism of kindness of sacrifice of mercy along with all the rest all the other bad stuff but mm. you know the human spirit has an incredible range an incredible spectrum mm-hmm. of possibilities and which one are you going to be hanging out on yeah yeah so you can hang out you can choose with your own attention to vote f- with your life for the greater good right and and make your own daily habits be living in appreciation living in more contentment you know one of the things i say a lot is i f- i feel like i'm living in hospice but in a relatively healthy body mm-hmm. for my age <laughs> so you know i feel i feel like i have the gifts of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. strangely that mm-hmm. i have the 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 benefits and in a way it's sometimes i have moments of such profound acceptance that i literally have the thought i wouldn't even have it any other way yeah because it must be it's such a i don't know but maybe you've plunged right through to a really deep acceptance that you would have not maybe gone to if the circumstances around well i don't apart, know apart from my own personal experience of acceptance now i'm not necessarily only meaning that what i mean is this is the evolutionary throw it's the it's the rollout it's the evolutionary rollout that is happening Mm. and that i have moments glimpses of saying okay yeah 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 no yeah, if we if we if if what our activities are doing is killing life on the planet ourselves included now there's 150 species per day going extinct mm-hmm. because of our activities and uh we're on well on our way of creating dead oceans and heat such that we can't grow food in <laughs> and uh, you know if that is what we are going to be doing and not s- somehow reversing it then the inevitable uh the inevitable the inevitable result of that is our own demise mm. 
And sometimes I just bow to that and say, okay. Mm. Now, I have a lot of attachments of beings here, believe me, and so it, it's, that's not a constant state. It's just I get glimpses of it in the acceptance, mm. in the surrender. I do get glimpses that just says, okay, fine. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'll give, hand over to someone in a moment, but I did actually only read half of your essay. I don't know why I didn't get back to it, but... Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> like, so if I think it, you did speak about it, situation as being in, um, like, prognosis of advanced pancreatic cancer and that if one kind of, like, the denial, if you're going to be in the as a measure of sort of the denial yeah, of how huge that is, is if one sort of pretends that everything is okay right. with that right. diagnosis. Right. And yes. So and, an, and, and by the way, what I'm saying in the, in the essay is that what I was looking at is probabilities based on current trajectories of the science data. That if there's something that can happen that reverses and changes course, well and good. And that right. means, yes, then we were evolutionarily able to cohabit with the rest of nature in a more intelligent way. And that would be great, wonderful. Mm. I will surrender very easily to that. And then the, the real key of maybe of acceptance in, in that the evolutionary process of being able to connect with because that's totally beyond anyone's will. Right, exactly, yeah. yes, exactly. And yeah. it's why I keep emphasising no blame because this evolutionary Beautiful. thrust has been going a long time. And as I say in the essay or recently in an interview or somewhere, you know, how far back do we go to lay the blame, right? Was it agriculture? Was it when we crawled out of oceans? Was it the Big Bang? How far back do we try to unthread what happened, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it then just, again, it's a part of this whole conversation about acceptance, you as a creature and we as a species. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the last thing just to say is that K for me is the blame. So I'm so glad that I've been here today and heard that. Like mm. that's, like I don't want to sort of like you, it's like you go somewhere and then you take away, but that's like my big, takeaway for today is just no blame the the blame thing okay good that's a good one this has been in the deep you can find the entire list of in the deep podcasts at katherineingram.com where you can also book a private session or make either a one-time or a recurring tax-deductible donation to help with the production costs assuming you like these podcasts We would also appreciate a review wherever you're getting yours. Till next time.